strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter. And will not be able. It's a scary verse when you think about it. And will not be able. That can almost send shrills up your spine. It says that there will be many. Many. Not some. But many will seek to enter and not be able. If you have a Bible and you would like to turn it to 1 Peter chapter 1, that is where we will be studying from this morning. Could you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, Lord Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the one that came, the one that lived, the one that died, and the one that lives forevermore. Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the one that convicts, the one that leads, the one that guides, Elohim, I pray, that your Spirit would come among us, that it would lead us, that it would guide us, that, Father, you would not allow my sins to hinder your word, that you would not allow my sins to to stop your word from going forward, that you would not allow my my poor speech, my, my poor manners of stopping others from receiving your word. Father, I thank you and I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered in throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. This morning, if we were to title this message, I would call it Covenant of My Salvation. Now, God put this on my heart, and I I titled it this because I think it is one of the largest mistakes we have, not just in the church, but in the body of believers, but also in the body of unbelievers that claimed they are saved. That we do not have an understanding that when we are saved, God has called us to enter into a covenant, a contract, a marriage with God. I'm going to repeat that. We that are saved have entered into a covenant. This is an agreement between two parties. Here it would be the party of a holy God and a sinner going to hell. We also have signed a contract. 
with God. And we will discuss the signing of the signatures of that contract in a little while. We also have entered into a marriage with God. We have taken certain vows, and we have to honor those vows. Vows are not made to not be kept. Contracts are not written to be broken. And covenants are not agreed to be void. Now let's just take a quick look at verse 1 so we can get a little background of what is going on. First Peter, it says, An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. The time is around this time about 64 A.D. Now why is this important? Because we need to understand that right now a lot of the New Testament has not even been written. Yet these books are still to be written. We have 2 Peter. We have the Gospel of John. We have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Hebrew, Revelations. And some even say Matthew. We need to understand at this time, the New Testament at this time is still letters. It's not chapters and it's not verses. This is very important. We need to also understand what has just happened in the secular world. Nero has burnt Rome to the ground. And he has passed the buck and passed the blame to the Christians. So now the Jews hate him worse. The Gentiles hate him. The Romans hate him. And the Christians have done one thing. They have scattered. Peter is writing to Christians that have scattered throughout Asia. He is writing to reassure them of one thing, who they belong to. He is writing to me and you today to assure us of one thing, who we belong to. But Peter is also quick to remind them of something. Peter is going to try and bring them comfort by reminding them of what they already know. The first words, if you notice, after the cities in, in 1 Peter are listed who are chosen. Who are chosen. We need to understand that is not a question, that is a statement. Peter is reminding them who they are. But also reminding them why they are. Who they are. Let's go to verse 2 and see if we can keep moving forward. Because it says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in full measure. Now this is going to ruffle some feathers, but let me see what it says, and let's take it for what it says. Can we agree here today that God's Word is true? It's true. This is one of these messages that don't shoot the messenger because of the message. But let's look at part of verse 1. And the first part of verse 2. It would read like this. Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now when we look at this in verses, we get the idea that they're split. But they're not. If this was a letter, if you will look at it, there is no punctuation. There is no comma. There is no period. There is no capitalization 
at the beginning of verse 2. This is one long, strong-out sentence. It was written in a letter, verse 1 and verse 2. The first part of verse 1 and 2 would read this way in the letter, who are chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father, comma, comma. It's time to take a break. Not end, not end the thought, but take a break. How am I chosen? How is this foreknowledge of God people, Peter is talking about? Peter answers it like he almost anticipated the question. Remember, it was only a comma. It is only a pause. It is not a period. Remember, it is only a comma. It's time to take a breath. But I think also it's time to relax. Because now we can bathe in the fact that you know you were chosen by God. So let's read the how the explanation Peter gave. The next part of this sentence tells us so plainly in plain language it reads, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Surely this has to be wrong. It has to be because it should read this if I choose. If I walked an aisle, if I made a decision, if I got dunked in the water, Surely this must be my salvation. No, no matter what we want to believe or teach or think, the Bible says we are chosen people by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctifying means we have been set apart and made holy. It does not mean we have joined an organization. It does not mean we have joined the church. It means exactly what it says. We have been chosen by God to be set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit. If Ben would be so kind and put up Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift to God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Now, there are two paths you can take here. One, you can get upset because you want to say, I chose to accept Jesus. So you feel like you had something to do with your salvation. Or you can relax, enjoy, love, be secure, even feel safe in the fact that God chose you. You had nothing to do with it. It came from God. It is of God. Ben, please continue with Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It reads like this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, I know someone just thought this. Well, how about Romans 10, 9? And you know, I don't think there's a, there, there, there's a more repeated verse in the Bible than Romans 10, 9. Ben, can you put it up? Because it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth his confession, resulting in salvation. Now, since the Bible is true, and we know this, let us put Ephesians 2.1 and Romans 10.9 together. Because, see, a dead man cannot confess. Can he? The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses. A dead man cannot hear the Word of God. Can he? A dead man cannot make a decision. A dead man cannot see. A dead man cannot believe. A dead man is only good for one thing. Being dead. And he will not be anything else. Saying I confessed... And then came alive. It's like saying I was baptized and then I believed. Then you confessed and then you are baptized. You see, some of us have put the cart before the horse. And now the cart nor the horse goes anywhere. We come to church. We watch the clock. Waiting and hoping it would hurry up and get over with. We do not get involved. We do not read our Bibles. We do not pray. We do not teach our children because we feel that is the church's job. We go nowhere, and therefore the horse stares at the cart, and the horse in the cart does not move. Before I confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I knew he was my Lord and Savior. Before I came, He called. God gave me my heart that believes. He gave me my ears that heard. He gave me my mouth that confessed. I had nothing to do with it. I cannot boast. Let's go on down at Ephesians and just drop down to verse 5. Ben, can you put up 2-5? Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Peter is telling them who are being persecuted to find comfort that God loves them. God chose them. For the Bible says we love God because He first loved us. It does not say God loved us because we first loved Him. If I had anything to do with my salvation... You can bet one thing, I would not have salvation. Why? Because Sam is a man, a man of the flesh. Sam makes poor decisions. Sam is a man that sins. Sam is a man that was once dead, but now is alive. A man that had to be brought back to life before he could believe, confess, claim, want, Desire Jesus as Lord. A man that the Holy Spirit put these things in me as he brought me back to life. This is what makes the difference of being dead and alive. He did not save me for me to remain as I was. He raised me from the dead. 
He did not leave me dead and say, I will be back. No, he raised me from the dead, and then he said, follow me. Oh, but wait a minute. Jesus said something else. Because, see, he said something else because he said, the arms that were dead can now hold a cross. The back that was dead can now lift a cross. The legs that were dead can now carry a cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus did not make a covenant with me that said, I have raised you, but now you just lay there, I will be back. Jesus did not make a contract with me that reads, just stay the way you are and pretend to be dead. Jesus did not take a vow that he would love me, take care of me, and go and prepare a place for me, for me to remain vowless. The story of a dog, I want to I tell you this, that a man went to the dump one day, and there was this little dog, and, and he was over by the dump, and he was mangy and, and, and knotted and flea-bitten, and, and, and he was starving, and he was hungry, and the man felt compassion for the dog. So the man went over and picked up the dog, and the dog bit him. He tried petting the dog, and the dog bit him. So he put him in his car, and he set him in the front seat, and as he, he sat down, the dog bit him. He took him home, and he, he cleaned him up, and he bathed him, and the dog bit him. He then fed the dog, and the dog bit him. Then he watered the dog. And the dog bit him. You see, the man loved the dog long before the dog learned to love him. The man loved the dog so much he was not going to leave the dog in the state he found the dog in. No matter how many times the dog bit him. Because his love for the dog far outweighed the fear the dog had of the man. The man loved the dog first. And then the dog learned to trust the man and to love him back. But notice in the story, the man found the dog. The dog did not find the man. In fact, if you want to look at it that way, and if the dog would have found the man and bit the man, we would have said the dog attacked the man. It would have been violent. But the man found the dog. The man took compassion on the dog. Back to 1 Peter, please. Bend the last part of verse 2, if you can. It reads like 1 Peter, verse 2. Says to obey Jesus. To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Now we're going to go backwards for just a little bit because I want to get this sprinkled with his blood in here. Because it is so important. Where did Peter come up with this 
sprinkled with his blood from. Remember, most of the New Testament has not been written. But if you go back to Exodus, chapter 24, verses 6 through 8, we will find out why. It says, Moses took half of the blood and put it in his basin, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now to give you a quick summary of what has just happened so we understand, First Peter, Moses has just come down from the mount. They have made altars. They have made sacrifices. And now Moses speaks. The book that he reads from probably has the laws in it. The do's, the don'ts, and the when's to do it. But it also has the Ten Commandments. He reads them before the people. Now, if you would put that in today's language, it would be really simple. The man of God stepped into the pulpit. Same thing. Moses steps up to the altar to speak. If it was in today's language, it would be the man of God stepped into the pulpit. Verse 7. It reads like this. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. It would read like this today. Then he opened the Bible, and he read it in front of the church. And the church agreed. And the church agreed to obey and be obedient. Take note, they have heard the Word of God. They have confessed to believe the Word of God. But they have also agreed to do the Word of God. Notice it says, And all that the Lord has spoken we will do and be obedient. You see, now the covenant has been made. The contract has been written. The vows have been taken. Now there is only one thing left. And that is the signing of the contract. It reads, So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Notice in accordance with all these words. All these words. All these words of the people, of God. The contract is fixed. It is written. And now it must be signed. And it will be signed in blood. Does anyone here remember the old cowboy movies, you know, where the, the old chief would, would take in the, 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 the white man and, and they would call each other blood brothers and they would either cut their thumbs or the wrist and they would rub them together and sort of just like that. 
They made a blood covenant with God. This is what takes place here. God is going to put his ex on the contract. And when you are saved, you are going to put your ex right beside of it. It will be a covenant spoken by God and the people. It will put in the book and writing, making it a contract, and the signature and blood because it could never be broken. The vows have been recorded. If this was spoken today, it would go something like this. And the man of God stepped into the pulpit and he opened the Bible. And he would tell us that there was a man once born of a virgin sent from God. And he walked among men for 30 years as man, just as a man. And in the last three years, three and a half years of his life, he walked as God in the flesh. The bad news, nobody believed him. Nobody agreed with him. Nobody even liked him. In fact, he was stoned. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was called a sinner. He was even run out of town. And then they would have taken him and beat him and stripped him of his hide like you would a lamb. And then they would put a, a set of crowns on him, a thorns, and beat it into his brow. So that way the, the blood and the sweat mingled would go into his eyes as they carried him and gave him a cross to carry up Calvary Mountain. They would hang him, and he would die. And then he would raise. But they would have put a big rock in front of that tomb that they laid him in on that shelf. And if, believe it or not, it wouldn't be to protect him. It would be to protect him from getting out. They tried to keep him in with the rock. They placed guards around the rock, and, and they tried to hold him in. And then the rock rolled away. But see, sometimes we get the wrong idea because the rock didn't roll away for God to get out. The rock rolled away for us to get in. Because, see, there was something in that tomb that they had to see. Two things. One, Jesus was gone. But second, at the other end of the tomb, they would have found a napkin folded up and laid in place. There was a purpose of that. You see, when a, when a king or a man of authority sat down to eat, his servant would stand off to the side while he ate. And when the king would get done, if he just throwed his napkin in the center of the plate and got up, it would mean he was done. But if he took that napkin and he folded it up and put it beside his plate, it would tell the servant, I'm coming back. 
I'm coming back. You see, and that's what he was telling Peter. That's what he was telling John. That's what he's telling us. He is coming back. He will be back. What a glorious day that will be. What a glorious day that will be. We can rest assured, as Peter was telling these people that was being persecuted, to rest in these facts. You have been chosen by God. You have a covenant with God, an unbreakable covenant. You have been covered with the blood of Jesus. You have made your vows. You have confessed that Jesus is Lord. And that's what he's telling us today. Jesus said this, I make a new covenant with you. Let me see if I can help us understand this a little bit. Because, see, we, May 1st, 1983, I was standing on a block. It was called a block of sin. My master was standing there beside of me. He owned me. He controlled me. I done whatever he told me to do. When he told me to hate, I hated. When he told me to do drugs, I done drugs. When he told me to drink, I drank. Whatever he told me to do, I done. I was a good servant. I was an obedient servant. I was a faithful servant. And my master was proud of me. So he put me up on the block, and as I stood on the block with my mouth shut, God walked by. And he said, Satan, that's my child. And Satan says, no. He was your child. You created him, but I stole him. And now I own him. And everything he does, he does because I tell him to do. And God says, Satan, what will you take to give him back? Satan said, one thing. Only one thing can buy him. That's your son. Jesus Christ. Dead. On a cross, in a grave. You see, a lot of times we get this in this understanding that we forget that we have been bought. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are somebody. You have been chosen. You have been sprinkled. We are a chosen people. We are sanctified. We should be separated from the world, not joined with the world. The moment, the moment, the very second the ownership would have changed hands, I would have dropped to my knees and said, thank you, for buying this old sinner 
I declare you to be my Lord and my Savior. But see, the transaction would have had to take place first. That's where we get it confused. Now, I want us to understand something that is going to happen. And this, to me, is, is really, really scary. Because there's three places in the gospel that it quotes Jesus saying these very horrible words. And to me, they're horrible. To me, they, they can just rip you apart. To, to me, they, they can just crush a man. He says it three times. Depart from me. Depart from me. If Ben would put up 723, Matthews, 723, we can see where he adds, depart from me, you cursed ones. He adds, I'm sorry, he adds, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Uh-oh. Sounds like maybe you didn't have a real good covenant, don't it? Maybe you didn't have a real good contract. Maybe you really didn't have any vows. Maybe some things were missing. He said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then as we go on and we, we find in, in Matthew 25, 41, he says, depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me. Can you imagine the, the day you stand and look at God in the face? You're standing before the throne, and the only words he's got to say to you is, depart from me. That's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. In Luke 13, 27, he says, depart from me. And then he adds, all you evil doers. Wow. Not too good of a contract. Not too good of vows. Not too good of a covenant. What terrible words to hear from the God that you falsely claimed to have a relationship with, but refused the covenant, the contract, the vow. Let's go back to 1 Peter now, if you would, because we can read 1 Peter. I just want us to go through 1 Peter all the way from verse 1 to 6. It reads this way. 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, 
who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You see, if we have that covenant, we have that contract, we have those vows, that marriage, if you read verse 2, it says this, you're covered in the blood. If you read verse 3, it says you are born again. If you read four, verse 4, it says you have an inheritance. If you read verse 5, it says that you are protected. And if you read verse 6, it says you can rejoice in these things. Can you rejoice? Have you made a contract? Have you made a covenant? Have you made your vows? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Because see, as, as, as Pastor Steve took up, stood up here this morning and said what? Miss Tommy went home. Miss Tommy went home. Are you ready? Because guess what? Today could be your day to go home. Today could be the day that you stand in front of God and God looks at you and says, depart from me, you worker of inequity. I know you're not. Or he's going to say, yeah, contract signed in the blood. Enter into the glory of your Lord. Only one of two things are going to happen. There ain't going to be, there ain't going to be no middle fence. See, a lot of people want to straddle a fence and live the way they want to live and do what they want to do and claim they believe in Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, have you ever seen them put up a fence? It always goes four to five foot in to whoever owns the fence. It's never on the line. They always move the fence in. And if you're straddling that fence when you fall, it won't matter which way you fall. You're still going to be on Satan's property, whether you go left or right. Today, today, if you go home, like Miss Tommy, if you go home, I want you to ask yourself one question. Do I got my contract signed in the blood, in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have I put my ex beside his ex? Or just his ex there? My ex isn't there. Is it that I know of the covenant? I've heard of the contract. But you know them vows. Now I don't know if I can do them. I don't know if I can keep them. Well, there's a good thing. See, you don't have to keep them. Because God is a forgiving God, a loving God, a kind God, a gracious God. God is a merciful God. It isn't about you. Bad news, I know. It's about Him. It's not about you. 
See, and God is not going to break his covenant. God is not going to break his contract. And God is not going to break his vows. And that's what we can rest on. It's not about you. It's about God. Is your name on the contract? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.